Hello, everybody, and welcome to ABL Down on the Farm, episode four. Really happy to be here and to have you on board watching the show. We got a great topic tonight, a great guest uh, joining us. Uh, as you know, the ABL Down on the Farm is a prospect based uh, podcast dedicated to all things prospects, uh, but particularly prospecting in the ABL, our 30 team dynasty league, um, with 20 minor league slots for a glorious, as I always say, 600 prospects that we can talk about and analyze and debate. And I'm joined tonight, uh, very thankfully, as a pinch hitter for my guest who I had to cancel. I'm joined tonight by Josh who is the owner of the ABL Giants, uh, and Josh and I talk about prospects uh, throughout the year, so I'm really happy to have him on board. been trying to angle it to get him on the show. So without further ado, I'm going to bring Josh uh, in uh, so we can start our, our conversation. How you doing, Josh? Doing well. I was, uh, I was glad I had baseball practice today that we had to cancel, um, which is why I was able to uh, pinch hit, as, as you could say. I have. Uh, I'm. I'm interested to see now. Everyone can pinch hit it. Am I able to to step up to the to, to the plate cold? No. No real research. Just right. Uh, jump right in and do do a good job. We'll see. I think um, you're going to be all right. <laughs> I'm normally a. I'm normally a guy that comes over prepared, and so today, even not even by my standards, by anyone's standards, I'm underprepared. So we'll see how this goes. I think you'll muddle through. I think you'll muddle through. Um, so listen, we have a lot, kind of some interesting topics to cover today. Um, you know, and like I said, I know you and I kibitz about, you know, prospects throughout the year and, and fantasy baseball general, um, you know, throughout the year, uh, which is a lot of fun. And one of the great things about being in a large league where you get to meet people from all over the country, um, and talk baseball, which is, which is of course what this is all ultimately about. Right. Um, and before we get into the topics for today, I just, you know, as I often do, I'm interested to hear our guests' views on prospecting, views on Dynasty, and just to hear a little bit about your background with Dynasty Baseball, um, and then more particularly, you know, how you approach prospecting and how you think about prospects. Right. So this is actually my first Dynasty Baseball League. I I had, on the same year I joined the ABL, so slightly before because I joined the ABL mid-year, I had I joined a keeper league, uh, which is, I mean, I guess in the moment I consider that kind of dynasty, but it really is. It's nothing compared to at least a 30 team dynasty league with uh, 20 minor league spots for every team. But I've always um, been, I would say, plugged into the to the Red Sox minor league system. That's my team. We'll talk a, a little bit more about the Red Sox. I'm sure I can't help it. But um, I never really the league as a whole other than maybe like the top. 100 top 50 guys I kind of had a general awareness of and then um obviously I always kept my eyes on on the top guys uh for redraft leagues um but really this was my my first uh foray into a dynasty league and so it's been a it's been a learning experience for me you asked about my general approach to prospecting and it's a uh, if I if I had to be honest with myself at first I had no idea what I I was doing and it took a lot of um um, mess ups and screw ups for me to be able to look at myself and say, you don't know what you're doing and you need to acknowledge that you are not good at prospects and you need to rely on other people to do, uh, to help you with prospects. So while you might think we're having, you know, just a one-on-one -on -one conversation, I'm really just picking your brain to get a better <laughs> knowledge of prospects. Cause you are, you're one of many guys in this league who I think have far superior prospect knowledge and uh, how to handle them when compared to me. So. That's part of you to say, but I, I will tell you this, Josh, uh, you know, I was in the same boat at one point. 
right? And, you know, I think anybody who gets into a serious dynasty league, which ABL certainly is, um, and probably more serious than, you know, any other league either one of us will ever be involved with, um, you know, it's a steep learning curve when it comes to prospects. And I think, you know, you come to these leagues with kind of fantasy baseball knowledge and a baseball knowledge generally, and you think that's going to get you through. And then all of a sudden you get punched in the face. Right. Like, oh, <laughs> like I really do. about this aspect. I don't know anything. Uh, and that acknowledgement that you don't know anything is don't know anything is an important moment. Right. Because, as you just said, you have to take stock of that and say, OK, I have to own this and I have to fix it. I have to address it. Right. And I went through that. Um, I've been doing dynasty for several years now and a keeper leagues and which are, as you pointed out, aren't quite dynasty, but you start getting into prospects, um, you know, but it, it takes a lot of research, a lot of effort, a lot of reading um, and, and to start thinking about it. So what I'm interested to hear from you and I'm happy to share my experience too, but you know, how you've gone about gradually picking away at that learning curve process. You know, it's funny. I, if you um, talk to me in the discord, especially in one of the public channels, I guess they're not public, but you know what I mean? Uh, yep. when, where ones where it's more than just me and you talking where everyone can see, I like to play up the fact that I was given such a terrible team, you know, bottom five major league roster, bottom five minor league roster, which is true. But if I'm being honest with myself, that also was a huge advantage for me because what it let me do, and this was before we had any points minimums, I didn't even look at my team the whole first year. I traded away some key pieces for some prospects that I thought were going to be something kind of missed on those trades. But what I was able to do and something that pretty much no one else could do because they were too busy worrying about their own team, I could watch teams like Duke and uh, that first First year, the, the Cubs had a great year and the Tigers had a great year. And, uh, you know, the, the top 10 or so teams, I was able to look at their teams closely, see what those managers were doing, what was working, why uh, they were so much more successful than, say, the bottom 10 teams. I'm not going to call it any specific teams. Other, <laughs> other than myself, I was one of the bottom 10 teams. But it was kind of like I got six months of just being able to watch the league and to learn and to take notes uh, to go into that first auction and really – attack what I felt like were some inefficiencies in the league. Right. And I feel like that is the only reason I have had success. I think if I came in and inherited a good team, I would have destroyed that team immediately and not by trying to just like on accident and it would have been a disaster. So that's, that's in a lot of ways, I'm thankful for the team I inherited. That's very interesting. I mean, it's a, you know, there, there's something about being a sponge that, right. that you know, it was really useful for you. Um, and just, you know, not having the pressure to compete when you walked in. Um, and so, you know, the strategies that you picked up in terms of the draft, the auction itself, because you did have last year, you had a very effective draft. You actually left a lot of money on the table uh, at the auction, but you ended up being able to put together a very competitive team and had a great season um, and, you know, uh, made the playoffs and, you know, um, you know, won a little bit of money as a result, which is great. Right. I did not. <laughs> I lost money. Uh, well, yeah, I guess I, we, we both got knocked out in the first round, right? Yeah, me and Duke yeah, yeah. were playing for uh, the right to to end the year in the green, funny enough, if I had somehow uh, beat Duke in the first round, which in hindsight, you know, was never going to happen. But in the moment, I thought maybe, 
But yeah, no, Duke was so so good during that final stretch. But if I had beat Duke, Duke would have been the one who didn't didn't make any money, which is which is quite the the, the change in history. Again, I know it never would have happened, but you know, I keep joking that Duke's the godfather of the ABL, right? And so it's like right. we keep every every guest that comes on first to Duke, so he's he's slowly taking on a legendary status, <laughs> right? In the podcast world. Um, but, you know, that's a lot of that strategy developments at the major league level, right? So I'm, what I'm curious is, as you were absorbing and kind of like, you know, gearing up for year one in earnest for you and now year two, on the prospecting side of it, that game, like what have you done over the last year and a half to be, become smarter? Because I think, you know, you're, you picked up a lot of very interesting prospects um you know you're you're clearly you know somebody who's reading you know resources out there we were talking before the show that you you know uh, use baseball america and I'm, I'm wondering you know what's changed over the last year and a half for you and how have you you know developed that that aspect of the game for you you know again i'm going to refer to duke here and uh contrary to what people might think by at least if you watched us today in in the banter channel me and duke were going at it um pretty hard it's we started you know just talking about the red Sox, and then it uh it went off the rails but um duke and i get along very well um outside of that environment and duke has been kind enough to he would you know point me in some directions of you know what he's looking at i mean he put me on a guy who was the right guy to put me on and i've been able to follow that guy around i i'm sure I'd, i'm sure everyone knows who it is i just don't want to give away too much I'm a little, sure. I'm a, I'm a little like, uh, I don't think you've had him yet, but Dodgers Joe in that way. I, I try to protect things that I probably shouldn't be, but Duke uh, kind of put me on a guy and that guy, the way that his career has gone, has opened my doors to things like the importance of baseball America. And uh, that's the one thing I subscribe to. Uh, I read a lot of their stuff and focus a lot on uh, what those guys have to say. And I, and I try to keep it to one source because I find if I expand too much um my it starts to all get mushed together and then there's some industry hype guys that i think always get overhyped i end up buying post hype i i like to find uh just one source and for me that's largely been baseball america but i think without duke kind of pointing me in that direction i don't know i don't i think i would have got there but maybe not as quickly so again yeah. i've got to give credit to duke there you go um you know it, it's interesting one thing you said really resonated with me which is that there's a lot of noise in fantasy right. baseball, when it, including when it comes to prospects. There are so many sources. There's so many subscription services you can go to, free sources, you know, people who have lists, rankings, like all this stuff. Um, and I made a decision a couple of years ago to really winnow down what I was reading to a couple sources. Um, I use three right now, but I have two primary sources, one of which is Baseball America. And the other is Baseball HQ, which I've, I've, I've been very open about. I, I do read Baseball Prospectus as well, although I frankly find them a little less helpful um, in, on the prospect side. Uh, but I kind of use them as a sanity check uh, for scouting reports because they do provide a third scouting report set, uh, source for me. Uh, but in terms of daily reading, um, it's really Baseball America. Baseball HQ is more um, preseason evaluations and then they <clears throat> do have very helpful in-season scouting reports 
where they do live looks and they write summaries and they often update their rankings of a player based on um, multiple viewing of that, of that prospect. Um, so I've, I've used those three sources, but I really did make an effort to cull so many sources out of my repertoire because I was just, you know, you know, flummoxed by it all is the word, if that makes sense. Um, and I think Josh, you're free. Yeah, that, that makes a, a lot of sense. Oh, there you go. My pros. I can I got hear you. you on my end. Yep, you're, you're going. Okay, so I think my internet's on. Okay. Um, yeah, that does that makes a lot of that makes a lot of sense. I think again, that's something I kind of lucked into. Maybe is uh, I'm still not comfortable uh, here. I'll put it this way: I the most fantasy leagues I've ever been in at one time was last year. I was in seven. Um, I was in a couple industry leagues because at the time I was doing projections uh, for a, for a website um, that is the since disbanded, um, and so I lost a couple leagues that way. Um, but also there was a moment last year where it was just becoming too much for me. And so I made the decision to make the ABL my only league. And so I'm, I'm at a point now where even like the cost of baseball America is probably too much for just, you know, trying to get an advantage in ABL. If I was in more leagues, it would make more sense. Um, so, but it's, it's weighing, you know, what helps me in ABL, but what also do I find in enjoyment from, from reading? And from that standpoint, I can only really justify having Baseball America. So, I, again, it's a lot of factors, you know, that I think have been lucky that have led me to doing something such as simplifying my process into really just looking at one source um, that I think have actually ended up benefit, benefiting me kind of by happen chance. Because I didn't, I didn't only get Baseball America at first uh, sure. with the thought that I'm only going to have one source to, to quiet the noise. I didn't only realize after the fact that's the effect it had. Yeah. Well, how could you know before? Right. I mean, right. <laughs> you, you got to like experience the other options. You know, you, you brought up an interesting point there, which was, you know, it's enjoyable beyond just your use in ABL. You know, um, I mean, I personally find reading about these prospects, whether it's in baseball America or elsewhere, just to be really educational about, about, about the game of baseball. And it really deepens my appreciation of uh, the game itself and kind of the work that's done to build teams and evaluate prospects. And there's some enjoyment about seeing these people that you've been reading about for years come up the ranks and, and graduate into the majors and having read about their pros and cons as prospects and the challenges that they face and seeing them overcome it. Um, <clears throat> It, for me, it's really deepened my appreciation of the game and, and also in fantasy baseball. It's just made it more fun um, to have this reservoir of knowledge about these games, these players, excuse me. Um, and certainly with respect to your own personal team, I'm a Cardinals fan, right? And you're a Red Sox fan, um, two great franchises. But, you know, you, there's a deeper appreciation that I have found, you know, even tracking the Cardinals prospects and having a knowledge base of where they stack up against other, you know, prospect systems and, how talented they may or may not be coming up the ranks. Um, and I'm sure you, you probably feel the same way about the Red Sox prospects from reading Baseball America. Right. Um, I feel like if I'm, we, we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, knowing what you're good at, knowing what you're not good at. And for me, it was recognizing I'm not as good at prospects as I thought. But one area that I do feel I'm good at is knowing the Red Sox farm system in particular. I would say, um, I would hope at least that no one within the ABL knows the Red Sox farm system better than me. I, I, that's just coming from being a fan. That's not coming from a place of like 
me trying to flex on the league. I just, I follow the Red Sox too much. And you, you'll hear me sometimes make bold claims about, you know, how good their farm system is and people kind of look at me or they're, you know, it's, it's over text, but you can feel them. They're like, ah, <laughs> I think this, you, I don't know if you're really paying attention to what's going on around the rest of the league. And I think that's totally fair, but <laughs> with the Red Sox in particular, I do feel like I have an advantage there. So, um, I don't, I don't want to say too much there because I do feel like I try if I'm trying to get a Red Sox prospect or I'm trying to move one, that's probably should be a red flag to whoever, whoever I'm talking to. Sure. Sure. You know, and, and it's interesting too, you know, in that regard, because um, I think what you run into when you become known as a person who's good about prospecting or good about a silo of prospecting, whether it be the Red Sox and more generally, you'll find that owners become more wary about dealing with you. Right. You know, so, well, luckily, I don't have that problem to the extent you do. Well, I'm sure you get it all the I time. Get, I get this question. Well, it's interesting. It goes both ways, right? So for, I'll give you an example. So I've gotten questions from owners. Why are you moving this guy? Right. I hate when I hate when people ask that question. I'm like, I, I can't answer that. <laughs> and, and look, I mean, the, the, the truthful answer is usually that, like, I view the current short-term value worth doing in exchange for the long-term potential right, yes right um it's not that i don't like the prospect i rostered the guy right yes <laughs> right um it's that i have made a decision that you know, i have a short-term need that i want to fill and i want to move this prospect or you know maybe i've identified something about another prospect i like a little bit more um and i could be wrong i mean the fallibility in evaluating these teenagers is right. so you know so great your, your, the percentage of fallibility is so high that you know even if you're good at what you're doing you can be just wrong uh, now, and I've, i have made plenty of mistakes um, i have i have a question for you as it relates yeah. to because you have an immense amount of prospect knowledge already but you're also a big cardinals fan and so i have a question about how this or this is this is the real question i have so i'm i've been making a power rankings um, and I put it in the banter chat every day of MLB teams yep. that I just kind of this math thing I'm doing on the side. And I, um, every day I do it, the Red Sox just keep climbing and it just makes me cringe. Cause I'm like, everyone is going to roast me for this. I know people are going to find me. There's a part of me that's rooting against the Red Sox ranking high because I know the accusations that will follow when that happens. So like they've been ranked fifth in my power rankings, which is absurd. I don't even think they're the fifth best team, but that's where they're ranking right now. Sure. Um, so for you, you built this huge, immense project you did on the on all the prospects in the ABL, uh, which was incredible. But when you did that, uh, uh, the top guy you had, and I know your, your process was very objective and you tried to take as much subjectivity out of it as you could, but when you did it, Jordan Walker ends up being the top guy. Was a part of you cringing? That's like, oh, of course it's a Cardinals guy. That's the top guy. Or were you like, ah, oh, no, that's right, that's correct. You know, it's interesting. Uh, you know, it, it, I um, the top two guys in that rating system that I put together for the ABL Prospect Handbook were Jordan Walker and Yuri Perez, who are both Steve guys. Well, yeah, one's Cardinals right. guy, and one is like your dude. Yeah, I mean, Yuri's my guy, yeah. um, and. You know, I was literally blind to where they were falling in the top 100. Um, right. I know. I know. 
I didn't look. I just it was all based on the system I put together. Now, you know, I think they're both incredible prospects, um, and they have a they both have very high ceilings. Um, they're come each one of them comes with their own risks, like all prospects, but they are both very exciting players. Um, I wasn't surprised to see either one of them at the top, um, and particularly given the parameters I selected uh, for putting that uh, ABL handbook together, right? I wasn't, I wasn't surprised. Did I cringe? Um, honestly, no. Like, I, I was just like, all right, this is how it, it shook out. I, I actually thought it was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, no. I, ultimately, it's funny, but that that shows you've got some good confidence in your in your process. So that I think I would have been shaken to the core. I'd been like, "Oh no, what did I just build?" Well, you you raise a good point, Josh. I mean, look. I mean, I I put a lot of work into reading about prospects and I, I in, in thinking about them, studying them, evaluating them, trusting sources that I use. Um, and at the end of the day, you. If, in my opinion, you have to trust your process, right? What's the point if, if you're not, you know? You also have to accept that no process is perfect, right? And you're going to make mistakes and it's going to be wrong sometimes. Uh, and that's just the, the way that that's baseball. <laughs> it's, it's so so generally that's baseball, but it's certainly baseball with prospecting. Um, and so I will stick with the process because I have honed it in from my perspective to a point that works for me. And, you know, I will take the same calculated risks again and again on players. Um, you know, I'm very eager to delve, you know, to delve into the DSL and, you know, teenage players. I have a lot of them on my roster. I'll keep doing that. Um, it's high risk, high reward. Um, but, you know, I believe in these scouting systems. I believe in Baseball America. I believe in Baseball HQ. And when they tell me a prospect is good, you know, I back check it against how the prospect does over time. But, you know, in the blind, and we'll get into this a little bit later in the show, you know, there are prospects who get flagged for me in Baseball America, and they have very limited track records. But if, you know, they're talking about them, I'll pick them up, you know, and I usually, in doing that, get, get that player before anybody else, right? And... What normally happens in the normal course is I'm able to monetize that prospect in about a month, in a month and a half, because it takes the industry about a month and a half to integrate the information. Can, a, let's talk, can we talk about that a little more? Yeah. I, um, I try and do the same thing, which is my general approach. I would say I dedicate maybe, I, I don't, I don't know the exact number, but over 50% of the prospects I have are guys that I have labeled as um, I just see their value going up. Um, I know that there's a first mover in the industry who likes them. So I know the rest of the industry will follow. And in that thinking, I, uh, I'm then, you know, going to capitalize on their value later. Now I am not good at that second part of capitalizing on their value. You are very good at that. You move your prospects all the time, but what happens for me is I know their hype's going to go up. It goes up and then I buy in on the hype and I'm like, no, I'm, I'm going to keep them. And then I end up getting, you know, caught holding the bag, like with Caleb Killian. Yeah. yeah. Just keep holding on to. And you know, they, they, they keep coming out with excuses and I'm like, ah, yeah, that sounds right because I want him to be good. But you would have moved on from Caleb Killian, like probably a year before, before today. So like, what, how are you able to, you know, be so enthusiastic about your guys, 
but also then be able to set that aside and move them at the right time. That's interesting. Uh, you know, a couple things. One is a confidence, whether it's right or wrong, that I'll be able to find replacements. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. So like I will trade a guy and then you'll see me pick somebody else up. And normally what happens is, you know, I'll get reactions every once in a while from people like I've never heard of this guy. I'm like, OK, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, talk to me in three months. Right. right? Exactly. So, like, OK. Um, and that's usually what happens. Um, but I'm able to I have guys on my watch list who I'd love to roster right now. And I'm just like, you know, I'm, I'm when I have a deep watch list like that, I, I feel confident in trading away prospects. Um, I also accept the fallibility in prospect evaluation mm-hmm. and that no matter how much conviction you have in a guy, um, you know, you have to be willing to pull the cord if you get enough value back at the moment for whatever your need is. And I think that's the truth. That's for me, the trick is like, you know, am I getting present value that makes it worth jettisoning whatever this person is ultimately going to be worth? And the last thing, you know, I would say is that it's very rare for me to trade a guy that I think is an elite prospect. All like right. a Yuri Perez. Yeah, so, okay. yeah exactly. So the, the players I'm more likely to trade, even if I like them, are the guys who are like 50 or 55 grades overall. You know, mm-hmm. and those guys, the reason I'm willing to trade them is because there's a lot of volatility there. Okay, and there's a lot of fungibility there, probably right. more so than the market appreciates. Um, so just because a dude is getting hyped right now and he's a 55 graded prospect or he's on a hot streak in double A or whatever it is, um, I'm much more confident that I can replace that player and that the net of you know trading that player away will not be that devastating to my farm system. Whereas if I traded a player like you know Yuri Perez away, that's a huge hit, you know, okay. because the upside is so much higher for them. So I have a, you know, I have a band of prospects that I'm on my team in ABL right now that I like a lot, but that I would trade, like, you know, almost without hesitation if the right offer came around. How much? How much of your roster would you say, or your of your minor leagues, right now? The category, yes. Right, right now, so it's high. Right now, because right, I have a I lot figured. of yeah, I have a lot of teenagers on my rosters. I have I went. So my draft, if you go back to the prospect draft, um, I had very few high round picks. It was a very deep draft uh, because we had multiple, we had two DSL, we had two J2 classes in there, right? And we had um, the normal first year player draft class, right? So it was just thick of, you know, talent. So I backloaded my draft. I had a lot of fourth and fifth round picks. And I just started cherry picking guys I really liked who were coming over from the J15 process. Yeah, I remember, I don't mean to cut you off, but you yeah. got one guy who you've already traded, <laughs> um, Snelling, who yeah. fell to you very late. And I was like, of course, uh, Steve got him. I was like, are you kidding me? And then you've already traded him. Yeah, I mean, there's a trade I made with Sam of the Texas Rangers. Right. And, you know, Snelling, Sam asked me, by the way, why are you dealing him? <laughs> so, you know, Snelling's a guy I like. I actually own him in multiple leagues. But um, I think that was a trade. I can't remember exactly who I got for Snelling, but it might have been Kenley Jansen or something. It was like a deal like that. Or maybe Do you have Kenley? What's that? Do you have Kenley? 
I have Jansen now. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah we're gonna yeah. be talking. <laughs> I want, I want Kenley. You want Kenley? All right, well, he's, he's, I'll he's gettable. Right he's gettable. Um, you know, the I actually traded for Bobby Dahlback, who was who had gotten called up at the time. Snelling for Dahlback, that was the trade. Um, and I haven't needed third base in my roster, right? So th- that's a good example, actually. Like you know, he, you know. He, Snelling's a guy who got a 55 grade from Baseball America. Has gotten some nice scouting reports early. And his, his early, you know, innings pitched in the minors have been successful and interesting. Um, but he's very young, and he's a long ways from the majors. Um, and if I can add present value to my major league roster um, with a guy like Dahlback who plays multiple positions and should be up a little bit later in the year with the Sox. Um, I don't think he's a great player, but he's got power in a 30-team dynasty league. Like Those kind of players can be helpful. Um, now, it sucks that he got sent back down <laughs> after he got called up. But, um, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a guy back who's had success in the majors and he's got a lot of home runs and, and does have, you know, raw power. Um, he's got some wars as a player. Um, but, you know, I, I felt at that point it was useful for me to get a guy like that. Um, long-term, that's, that trade may be very nice for Sam, right? Because I think Snelling's got an interesting future. Um, but he's a kind of a classic example of a 50-55 guy who I'm willing to deal if I get a player that I think is going to be worth it. I can be wrong. I've traded away really talented prospects and gotten like a guy that I felt was going to help me in the media term but ended up falling through, you know? I traded in another league. I traded Ellie Daly Cruz last year for Jesus Sanchez because I needed a power hitter at that time. He was hot at the time. Um, and now he's like a platoon player in Miami. Um, you know, and so that hurts, right? And, and that's, a, that's an exception because, you know, Daly Cruz is a guy who's like a more, more highly regarded prospect, even, right? So you get burned. Um, and you know, you just have to live with those bruises, I think, as a, you know, dynasty owner, um, and just keep, you know, not getting scared, keep going at it because you should have to trust the process. I mean, um, so yeah, I've got right now so many teenagers on my roster. Um, and I look, I'm looking over here cause I have my roster up, but you know, I got 16, 17 year old kids and they haven't even played. I mean, the, the DSL league hasn't even started yet, but when it does, a lot of those kids are going to shoot up prospect lists. Some of them won't, you know, but some of them will. And then you'll see me monetize them. Right. You know, Which I don't, I will relinquish control of your show back to you. I promise. That's all right. but, but as you talk, I have another, I have another question spe- uh, relating specifically to one of your players. And that is, um, Oh, please tell me I've got the right Miller here. You had, you have Mason Miller, correct? I do. Yes. And so I know he he's a big hype guy who you you held on to. You could have moved him probably even before the season he had some hype, but then the hype really started picking up. And I remember some of my sources, things I checked, were starting to I was starting to hear murmurs that he was going to come up to the majors. And I messaged you and I'm like, this dude, he's he's uh he's about to get called up. And you're like, I don't know. I'm like, no, dude, it's happening. And sure enough, he got called up. But I'm curious, is that a guy who you were planning to help you this year? Or did his call up, you know, catch you on your feet and you're like, man, I wish I had moved him. Uh, no, I was counting on Mason this year. Um, okay. Um, you know, so Mason Miller is a guy that I started reading about in Baseball America last season. Um, 
was towards the end of the year. Uh, he had been out most of the year with injuries. Right. Um, and towards the end of the year, he started to pitch. And this, you know, the buzz on him out of Baseball America was just electric. Uh, you know, I, I read some Big time. Very, very, very small sample size. Right. Like and, we're talking like 25 innings. Yeah. And, you know, the, the reports I was reading, it wasn't just one dude. It was like multiple reports. It was like, like holy cow, this guy's fastball is electric. And he's got a nasty slider to go with it. And he's got some other pitchers he can throw. If he could ever master those, look out. Um, and then, you know, there was the red flag about his durability, right? And his tra- lack of track record. Uh, and then he lit the, you know, um, AFL on fire. You know, the Arizona Fall League. And I, I followed that because he was on my radar, you know, towards the end of last season. And during the draft or auction draft, not the prospect draft, um, Duke nominated a minor league player uh, for bidding. And I was like, you know, I, I, we, I had an exchange with Duke in the chat room. I said, are, are we allowed to nominate like these players right now? He's a minor leaguer. And he said, oh yeah, you can nominate if he's, you know, if he's like, you know, uh, passed through a, a prospect draft already, you can nominate him. And I immediately, you know, thought about Mason Miller, who was 15th on my board overall for the prospect draft. And, you know, he was close to the majors. He was in AAA. I knew he was going to start in AAA. Um, and I had read all this crazy stuff about him. So I put him, I nominated with my next nomination for a dollar. And Dave at the Athletics bid two. And I had a max bid of three. Um, and he just, you know, passed through the eight hours at $3 or whatever. And I, from everything I had been reading going into the season, the Athletics were just extraordinarily high on him. They obviously have a crappy rotation. And they had been very aggressive in promoting him. And so I, I thought he would get called up early in the year. I did not expect him to get called up so quickly. Um, but I had no intention of trading. Okay. Um, and I just, you know, because really the format more than anything else in ABL, it's, it's just so pitching starved uh, and the value of a cheap pitcher. So I have him for $3. And as you know, in our format, he'll go up to five next year. And I'll have the option after that season to extend him if I want. So I have a I have a long look, you know, at Mason, um, and to leverage that contract, you know, whatever he's going to be worth is potentially gold, you know. Um, so I have every intent to hold on to him. Uh, we'll we'll continue to see how he pitches. There may come a point where he gets like so much hype and so much attention that it's worth dealing him. Um, although, I, you know, my perspective on the ABL this season is that there are just some very top heavy teams, um, you know, Yours included. No, that, thank you. But like, you know, I think there are some really strong teams in the national league this year in our league, and it, that's going to influence my desire to trade prospects for high end guys. Right. It's going to diminish it. Right. Because it, is it really worth marginally incrementally improving my major league team to get eliminated in the second round as opposed to the first round or the third round yeah, i mean i'm looking at another first round elimination i think this year my division yeah. i'd be lucky to win my division i mean i'm not saying i can't but i have the d-backs and the dodgers um that if i and I, I could very easily finish behind both those teams 
And then I'm looking at a first round matchup versus Duke again, <laughs> like, or right. Jeff, Jeff might not. I mean, Jeff's probably not going to beat Duke in the division. And then now, now I'm playing Jeff first round. I lose to Jeff. So yeah, I'm right there with you. But I asked about, I asked about Miller for, for a, a secondary reason. And that is, uh, well, one, I think this arguably might be the best possible league format for a guy like Miller. He's a guy who's probably going to get one win this year, maybe right. two. Right. And in most leagues, that's a big problem, but, not only do we have quality starts in this league, we do something called QA7, which actually, if you just get to the fourth inning uh, and allow a run or less, you get a QA7. I think Miller's going to do that all the time. So this is kind of the format for Miller. So that, that was one curiosity. But it, um, the other reason I asked the question is uh, watching the Miller thing happen caused me to pick up a couple guys. Oh, tell um, me about it. Tell me about it. Because it, uh, it, it made me reevaluate some of the, some of the, the the value there in the sense that Miller, as you mentioned, is a guy who no one took him in the prospect draft and you got him in the auction. So I started scouring who are some guys that should be rostered that are pitchers that are probably coming up this year, but no one has. And I found two guys that I have on my team right now. And in my opinion, there's more out there. I just have, don't have room for them. One is JP France, who makes his first start today. He what he's not rostered because he's 29. Yep. But he's and and he's got some reliever profiling. But this is a dude who is a strikeout machine. He's got exceptional stuff. I think Eno has him in the top five and AAA for stuff plus. Um, but no one rostered him because he's 29. I'm like, that's a dude who's going to get a shot this year. So I picked him up. The other guy, um, probably closer to Mason Miller in the sense of a true prospect is, for some reason, Mike Vassell wasn't rostered on the Mets. And yeah, yeah. he's already, the rumor is that he's likely, if not their best, very close to their best pitching prospect. And he's in double A right now. He's probably going to get a shot in the majors um, at some point with the injuries they're having. So I just wanted to say that your, that what you did with Mason Miller was so good and so valuable that I'm like, I need to do this. And I know I'm neither of those guys are Mason Miller, but I know I'm trying to find Mason Miller light. I'm trying to replicate what you're doing. And that's kind of an example of that's basically how I play the ABL. Someone does something really smart and I'm like, no, nah, I'm going to do it. No, look, I mean, you know, imitation is the best form of flattery, I guess, you know, so, right. so thank you. But like, you know, uh, you do learn from your other owners. Um, and there's certainly a lot of owners in ABL that I learned from. And, um, you know, you never should stop learning, developing your skills. Um, you know, and I, I watch what owners like Duke do, it does, and Jeff and I are in a bunch of leagues together, and I think he and I like cannibalize each other's moves through various leagues. Um, there's a guy that I'm very, you know, good friends with. Um, he's not in our league yet, but I'm trying to get him into our league. Uh, who he and I are in several leagues together, and you know, when I prepare for a prospect draft, his rosters are one of the first things I look at. It's like who's not on my team that he has. <laughs> like and, and, you know, there, there's only like you know, I think ABL right now is the only dynasty league that he and I are not both in. And so yeah. you know, when I prepare for the ABL draft, I go to my friend Tom's rosters in all my leagues that I'm in with him, and I'm like, all right, I don't have this guy, this guy, this guy, and that guy, and then I put them on my board and I figure out where they're you know where to rank them. But um, that's a great resource. And he and I talk about prospects throughout the year, and he's got a very different approach uh, than I do. Um, he's very analytical and mathematical. Uh, he, he's, a, he's a dude who creates his own model for the draft, both minors and majors, and 
Uh, we're doing NFBC together this year in a couple leagues. And um, it was really interesting to see the confluence of our processes and, you know, how they dovetailed and how they diverged. Um, and, you know, we, we joke with each other about the guys we were telling each other we should draft who we didn't take. <laughs> so, you know, he, there are some players that I like that he didn't. I'm like, yeah, they're doing well. And he'll do the same thing to me. Um, and it, that, that's been fun. Um, but you always should learn, I think, from the other. Tom, you said Tom's his name? Yeah, 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 well, yeah. Tom sounds like what I am hoping to be one day. <laughs> I'm, I'm very similar, very mathematical, just quite haven't figured out how to put it all together. But um, I, we have a we have a very good crop of, of uh, owners right now, so I don't think we should add them. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's leave them out. He's in a league with uh, Jeff and me, and so Jeff knows him, and he, he's a okay. shark. Uh, he's, he's very, very good. Um, and a nice guy, um, and very analytical and and mathematical. Yeah, that freaks me out. I think I, obviously people who I don't understand freak me out more, but people who like their process is the same process as mine, but they're better at it. Freak me out almost as much. And so I want nothing to do with this dude. (laughs) You might learn from him. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I'd have to, I'd have to learn from him. Right, I'm still trying to learn learn from Duke. I don't know if I'll ever catch him, but maybe one day. Well, you know, the interesting thing about Duke, uh, Duke's obviously done extremely well in this league, um, and, he, and he's he's clearly a strong owner. Um, but you know, I had him on the show for the first episode, and he's only been doing Dynasty for this is his fourth year. Yeah, well, that doesn't make me feel any better. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, but, but the point being is that he's actually not that experienced at it either, right? And I'm sorry, Duke is learning. Um, now that's that scary, scary. Yeah. <laughs> All right. but you know, um, you know, I think the, the thing to, you know, appreciate about all this is that, you know, you start to become a little wary of making deals with the smarter owners, which is already like happening when I do, when I do prospect deals now, right. It's like, you know, people are like, what are you trying to do to me? Right. Right. Um, and, and I, I'm not that smart, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, like, I don't know about that. That you, you can pretend that's not true at all. Um, you know, it, I'll tell you another funny anecdote. So there's something I said. Get now at this stage of the year with my roster, my minor league roster. I had an owner tell me like your 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 prospects some kind of light, and I'm like I'm thinking to myself like oh like I'm a good prospect guy. But because you haven't heard of my prospects, you think my prospect system is light. I'm like, all right, let's let's revisit this in like two months. Right. <laughs> let's see what you think then, right? Uh, you know, which is an interesting part of like prospecting too, which is that the price just goes up. Right. I mean, you know, the, the, the actual time to buy a guy is when people don't know who he is. Exactly right. Yeah, and you saw that I have I just I have Miguel Blight Blaze Blaze. Yeah, 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 yeah. I would know how to say his name. I do not. I, I wanted to talk about him because he's a Red Sox guy, which brings me to why don't we delve into this particular topic about how okay. to balance, you know, I, this is, you know, this is the, uh, the the topic I had, like hometown savant or Homer, right? <laughs> like, so for you, like, you Homer. Know, like, you're a Red Sox fan and you can be both, I suppose, right? You no, I'm a Homer, both. yeah. Right. So like, you know, I know you love Miguel, all right? And, and there's a lot to like. There's a lot to like. You know, he's a prospect that's very interesting. He's got a lot of, you know, noisy tools. Um, You know, he's got some contact issues that probably are a little scary. But, like, talk to me about your love affair with him. This is like the Whitney Houston moment. Like, I will always love you. This is is your guy. So tell me about it. 
So he's a guy that, you know, I've, you know, for I've Brendan had him and I had known he had him and I was watching him from afar and I was just staying away because I'm like, he's too expensive to acquire right now, Josh. He's too expensive. Everyone knows about him. The hype will never be higher, but he just, the, the hype kept building and building. And I have some of my own models and I, I factor in risk pretty heavily. But one day I was just like, what happens if I take the risk out of the model? Like just who is, who's projecting the highest? And he projected the highest for me. If you just completely ignore risk. Which is a very stupid thing to do, but what, and it was especially stupid for me because as soon as that happened, I'm like, well, <laughs> if there's a 1% chance that it all clicks, he's the best player in baseball. And now I need him. So I paid Brendan quite a bit to get him. Um, I think I gave him, I, I, let's see, I can probably pull up the, the trade. Um, Let's see where is Blaise. Brendan's a very sharp owner, by the way. And yeah, that's the other problem, right? Is it's uh, we were talking about a sharp, sharp uh, owner here who, who tries to also play down his threat level. But I gave him um, Khalil Watson, who is basically Miguel Blaise. So right there, I'm kind of doing a one for one, <laughs> right? <laughs> like basically the same dude. But on top of that, I gave him Blake Snell, who is you know how important pitching is in this league, and I wasn't going to. Uh, keep Blake's now I was going to drop him but then the way the auction ended up going I probably would have rather had Snell at that price um, I also gave him a fourth round pick which a fourth round pick in like uh, my hands might not be very valuable but a fourth round pick in your hands or in, in Brandon's hands quite valuable I'm pretty sure that's where he got Bl- uh, Blyce even um, right. and then uh, also gave him John Birdie who is pretty valuable in our leagues we get two points per steal um, and then I got lucky that that the day I made that trade, the Marlins went and got Arias. Yes, and kind of made Birdie less, gave him less playing time. But like you can see, that was just me okay. wanting my dude. And so in that sense, that was a homer move. There's no defending it. I just really, really wanted Blyce on the like one percent chance he's the best player in baseball. Sure, uh, look, I you know I did a similar thing in the draft this year. It wasn't quite as expensive for me to go to acquire, but I picked, you know, Elijah Green at number two overall. Right. And right. I passed Jackson Holiday in the process. Um, who's right now on fire, right? right? And um I did that because I, you know, believe in the scouting reports about Elijah Green that there is a chance that he is going to be just a complete monster superstar. Um, and, you know, there are just very few players in baseball who have gotten the 70-70 in power and speed from Baseball America. Um, and, you know, the, the risk is his contact rate and his strikeouts. Um, and it may take longer for him to hit. And he may not ever, you know, be a, you know, a stud that he could be. But that was a dude that I was willing to roll the dice on because he was a guy I wanted. Um, and... You know, I may end up, as I said in the first episode, when Duke was giving me, you know, crap about taking him over uh, Jackson Holiday, which is fair. Um, you know, I said, like, I may end up regretting it. Um, but I believe in the scouting process that I adhere to. And the upside is just so immense that I was willing to take the risk. Um, and, you know, Blyce is a guy who could be in a very similar boat. Um, I don't think he has quite the speed that Elijah Green has, but he's got a ton of power. Um, and he's on your team. 
you know, which, which right, you know, makes right. it even more fun, right? I mean, th- th- yeah. that's another element to this whole thing, yeah, right? Yeah, I'll say Blyce's carrying tool right now is his power, but I think he's plus everything else, and that's why oh. that's what intrigues me about him. I don't know how many people you can say that about, but the at worst, you can say his his uh, arm is above average, but everything else is is flashing his plus right now. You did mention he, he has some... Um, swing and miss issues right now specifically against breaking balls but he's he saw he's seen i this is the thing i have red Sox stats other people don't have so i can i can see the like the breaking the amount of breaking balls he's seen this year has been tremendous and he's still doing decent so i feel like that's a good sign but what what i have on the red Sox, i don't do this for anyone else this is just out of my own curiosity i have them all rated on uh, what i would give them overall on the 20 to 80 skating uh, 20 to 80 scale, sorry, but also um, like their range of outcomes. And so, for example, I have Marcelo Meyer is a 55 with a 40 to 70 range of outcomes. Mm-hmm. Blyce I have is a 50, but, and this is the, this is by far the widest range. I have him as a 30 to an 80. So there's that, there's that really slim chance. I mean, we're talking like three standard deviations away from what I, his actual projection is that he's an 80, but if he is an 80, and he's not on my team. I will forever be sad. Yeah, <laughs> so, no, I hear you. I hear you. I mean, yeah. look, you know, at the end of the day, <clears throat> sometimes you just got to get your dues. Right. Right. I mean, and that's okay. But, so, and let's let's talk about. It. So, I had two picks this year in the in the in the rookie draft. I was not planning to take Red Sox with either. But here's the thing about our league: it's not just that I'm very biased in favor of the Red Sox. There is definitely some anti Red Sox bias. And so at every opportunity I can get, I can get a Red Sox guy. And so I was I was staring down. I have him as the seventh best guy in our system. His name's Mikey Romero. Um, he's he's a st- typical Heim Bloom pick. He's the shortstop. I have him as a 45, but a 30 to 60. My my grades will be a little lower than uh, what like Baseball America probably has him as a 50 or 55. But I have him as a 45. Um, but I really like him, and I had him as a as a back end first round pick in my rankings. Yep. He fell all the way to the third, which was my first pick, and I'm like, here we go, I'm gonna get him. Um, but he's falling, he's falling, and I realize too late that the person before me is is Don, who's a Red Sox fan. Ah. If I'm a Red Sox homer. Don is a Red Sox homer times two. He is way more of a Red Sox homer than me. For example, Flash, this story is going all over the place. Let's go back two years prior. So before, this is another example of me being a Red Sox homer. I had a guy named Connor Seabold, who I was a big fan of. Um, One of the few guys I actually picked up in my first year in the ABL just because he was tearing it up. And uh, what made me like him in particular is we got him as a Rule 5 pick from the Yankees, I believe. And so that made it even better. If he's going to be good, and we got him from the Yankees, sure. he's uh, then that's the guy I want. So you can see the bias. But um, I he was three dollars, and my math was telling me he's not worth three dollars, even in a free. You don't have to put him on a contract. It was a second year, so I dropped him, sent him to the auction. Um, the auction plays out as my first year doing the auction. I'm kind of running out of guys I like, so I'm like, what the hell. I'll nominate Seabold again and try and get him for less than $3. So I bit, I put him in there and I put a $2 max on him, try to get him $1 left. And immediately Don comes in and bids $3 on him and gets him. I'm like, what the hell, Don? <laughs> he just sees the Red Sox player and he takes him. Since Seabold's been DFA'd, he's pitching for the Rockies now. He's not doing well. But, right. but that's two Red Sox homers going at it. So basically – 
now I, I'm scarred from that experience. We're now in this rookie draft and um, Mikey Romero is just falling and falling. And I'm like, Don's going to take him. He's the pick before me. Don's going to take him. What, what do I do? What do I do? So I, I am like every single owner on the clock for like two hours. I'm like, they're on the clock. I'm like, trade, let's trade, let's trade. You know, half of them don't see it. The other half's like, no, I really got a guy I want here. I'm like, trust me, you do not want him as much as I want this guy. I will overpay. And they're like, nope, nope. I'm taking him, whatever. So we get, we get all the way to Don's pick. And sure enough, the pick before me, he takes Mikey Romero. And at this point, everyone I've been talking to already knows that's who I wanted because I was just being very open about it. And they were just, you know, I'm giving all these DMs like, oh, that sucks. So got sniped. <laughs> yeah, I got sniped. And so I'm like in this depressive state. I've been so singularly focused on getting Mikey Romero that I'm not paying attention to what's happening in the rest of the draft. So all these guys, it's like 15 picks have gone off the board. So I'm, I'm going through my list of rankings and just crossing the guys off one by one, one by one. I get to my next ranked guy and I'm on the clock and it's Roman Anthony. And I'm like, Oh man, here we go. Another Red Sox player. So of course I took him and uh, I still have, I have Roman Anthony ninth. I still have him behind Mikey Romero. I'd rather have him. But Anthony's a guy that's had a lot of hype. Yeah. He's got a beautiful swing, which is where most of the hype's coming from. Because I don't, you'd be, it'd be hard to find a guy with a better swing uh, than Roman Anthony. And he's he's another guy with some power. I know you had him in your top hundred. Yeah. Um, but that that's how I ended up getting him. So I get I have one Red Sox only because I missed another Red Sox. I have one other pick. Fifth round. Yeah. We get all the way to the fifth round. And who's the top of my list? Luis Perales, who's the Red Sox, probably their third best starting pitching prospect. Um, another really young guy. He's, he's like Vlice light, but for pitching. Probably a lot of reports said he was the best best pitcher in the, in the uh, what do they call it, the DSL. Um, but he's got a lot of problems as well. So I, so I took him and I, and now I've, and I have two Red Sox players or, and I could have had another, um, just because of, I don't know if that's bias that's built into my list or I'm the only person valuing those guys properly, but I, I end up getting, I, instead of, you know, I could have had Mason Miller when I've got a single A pitcher for the Red Sox. So. Well, I mean, blissfully, you could not have had Mason Miller because I drafted him, I guess, in the, you know, in the, uh, in the, in the non-rookie uh, draft. Right. Right. But, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's interesting, you know, there can be, in my view, a lot of advantages to being ginned up on a particular system. If the system is a good one, there can be downside if it's a shitty one. Right. I yeah. Mean, I think the I, Red Sox, no one knows yet, which is the right. scary thing. Right. I mean, so, you know, I think all those guys that you drafted are very interesting prospects. And then, you know, Mikey Romero is an interesting prospect too. baseball America gave him a 55 grade. Um, and you know, he's, he's a nice spec as well. Um, you know, a guy that I, reached for in the first round i traded up to get him uh, dylan Les lesko mm -hmm. uh, san diego was a guy i really liked that had fallen down the board and you see guys who are undervalued in the draft uh and you go get them um and you know leveraging your knowledge i think with the red sox is is a big advantage for you because i think there is bias uh against the red sox uh, a lot of east coasters out, out here right there's a lot of kind of animosity to boston I'm wearing my Celtics jersey, you know, shirt today. Tomorrow, yeah, tomorrow I'll be wearing my uh, Marcus Smart, uh, you know, throwback jersey. Uh, you know, the urban Bill Russell edition jersey. Um, <laughs> my wife is from Philadelphia. Uh, wow. So, so it'll be all out war uh, in the yeah. house tomorrow. But, uh, you know. Well, we, these last three days we got 
baseball and basketball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we shall overcome in Boston. Um, but uh, it's the only Boston team I root for is the Celtics. Right, right. That's right. But um, you can take advantage of that. It's interesting for the Cardinals. Um, you know, I'm very familiar with their system because um, I, I not only do it through just my general prospecting process, but of course I, you know, double down on the on the on the Cardinals. Um, but I actually own very few Cardinals. Um, and there is that because of your um, self control, or is that because we have like six Cardinals fans in this league? It's a little bit of both, right? Um, you know, I think there is irrational enthusiasm about Cardinals prospects amongst the ABL owners, um, and and it becomes almost impossible to acquire them in trades um, for a reasonable price. Uh, there's just a tax that you end up paying that, that I'm not willing to pay. Right. Um, I'm willing to sell them because <laughs> people will pay for them. Heck yeah. um, you know, and so, you know, there are a handful of prospects that, you know, I've had that were Cardinals prospects that I've dealt um, in the ABL. Um, for example, a guy that right now that, you know, I would trade in a heartbeat if I could get a King's Ransom for him would be Mason Wynn. Okay. Who I like. But I think it's just being grossly overvalued by the market right now. I keep my eye on your guys' Cardinals chat sometimes, and there's a lot of Mason Wynn talk in there. So I think yeah, no, right. yeah, look, he's he's a very exciting player, and I think he he may be a better real life player than a fantasy player. Um, and he, he's he's an electric shortstop. He's got great fielding instincts. He's got a cannon for an arm, but none of that matters in fantasy baseball um, in, unless you're just talking about playing time. Um, mm. You know. Limited power. It may come eventually. Um, he's got some speed. He's got a decent bat. He's actually struggling a little bit with some, you know, advanced pitching right now. Uh, there's been some scouting concern about his ability to handle fastballs and upper level breaking pitches. Um, and if you look at his minor league stats right now, they're not great. Um, and he's, he's, he's young for AAA. He's being challenged by the Cardinals. And that's a good thing. But, you know, ton of spring hype. Just a ton of enthusiasm on Cardinals fans. And again, I'm not telling I'm not saying he's a bad player. I'm just saying that he's overvalued right now in my in my view. Um and if I had him and I put him on the block, um, I think you know, the offers would be extraordinary for him. Um probably, yeah. You know, um and there's something to be said just about the general hype machine that goes on with these prospects, a guy like Jordan Walker, who I saw being drafted in NFBC leagues. Um, you know, which are basically redraft leagues. Uh, and these experts were drafting him for $13, $15 on a two sixty budget, which is insane. Kind of insane, insane, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, and Tom and I are doing that league together, a couple of those leagues together, and we were just like, he was off our board. Yeah, it's always a bummer. You know, we were just like, we can't, we're just not paying more than a two bucks for him. I mean, it's just like ridiculous. Um, and, you know, now he's been sent down, and, you know, it's a disaster for the people who drafted him. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, knowing when to like back off your guys and your, in your home team's farm system is, is also valuable. Um, I think the guys you have on your roster is actually fewer Red Sox than I thought when I, when I pulled up your roster, I thought I was going to have more minor leaguers in it. I did move one recently. I moved Chris Murphy. Um, well, and actually I have a quick story. Yeah. Sort of, it's unrelated to Chris Murphy. It is related, but, um, before, before the story, I just wanted to say, 
you are so much more reasonable about the Cardinals than me. I can just tell by uh, than me about the Red Sox. I can just tell, you know, you do not have, you don't not have moments where you dip into clear homerism with them like I do. I will do that probably once a month. Um, but I, I ultimately think what it is is when I reflect back on how did I end up with two Red Sox, and if I had missed on, if I hadn't missed on another guy, I would um I would have had him instead. And he was also a Red Sox player. How did that happen in the rookie drafts? How much of that was homerism? I, what it ultimately is is I have a process, and the process is telling me to take those guys. But if the guy was on any other team, I would have thought about it a lot longer. I would have double checked things. I would have made sure it made sense for my build. Sure. But if it's a Red Sox, I don't do any of that. I just take him because he's at the top of the list. And that is that's a that's a little bit of homerism, maybe more than I'm willing to admit. But I think that's the answer to your did. question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I but I did just move Chris Murphy. I moved him for a um I think three bucks fab. That's all I moved him for. Um and part of what made that that a little easier is that I believe the Chris Murphy trade was the same trade I got Ronan Cop in who is getting a ton of hype right now. Oh, yes, I got Ronan Kopp and Tyon Walker and a third-round pick for... Oh, that's not bad. For, I did trade Andrew Heaney, but Joey Wentz, Drew Rom, not to be confused with Romo, and then uh, a couple of fourth-round picks. But I, I moved him back to the team that had him for three bucks, and that was because I'm falling a little bit out of love with Chris Murphy and was starting to fall in love with another Red Sox prospect, whose name is i'm blanking shane shane drohan um and so i have known about shane for quite a while i knew heading into the year the industry is completely unaware of him but he's he's borderline top 10 red Sox prospect but you know the industry is gonna take three or four months so i'm like i have time this relates back to we talked about a little bit about when to make a move for a guy so he's a guy that's been at the top of my watch list for forever because I knew that this guy was a top 10 Red Sox prospect, um, which makes him pretty valuable in the league because the Red Sox have about the top, their borderline top 10 farm system. So he's a solid prospect. Um, and him being a Red Sox automatically goes, you know, to the top of my, my watch list. Now, there were other guys like Mike Vassell, who who I decided to pick up instead of him because he's a Met. Um, and so Mets are just going to get more hype. Um, so I pick up him instead. And each time I opened up another another roster spot, I picked up JP France or someone else. Yep. You know, some of the guys we already talked about because I was I was confident that the that the world did not know about Shane yet. Now Shane started getting some more and more hype. He's pitching super well. So um, and I'm starting to hear rumors that he's not actually a top, borderline top 10 Red Sox prospect. He is the number five Red Sox prospect and the best pitching prospect in the Red Sox whole system. This is what I'm hearing. So I'm like, uh-oh, it's starting to happen. People are catching on. Some of the Baseball America guys are like, anyone notice that sh- that Shane's got like a, six ER, a 0.6 ERA and a 0.6 um, whip? <laughs> and so I'm like, uh-oh, they're talking about him. So I go to pick him up. The day I go to pick him up, a division rival of mine, the Padres, put in a bid for him for one buck, and I only put in a bid for one buck, and they got him. And the top guy on my list for like the last three months goes to another guy, and I've been just knocking on the door with the Padres, being like, "How much fab you want? Like, I'll give you all of it. I just want want Shane Drohan, but he's not budgeting." So yeah, I, one of the topics for today was pulling the trigger. Right? right. When do you get your guy in your watch list? Um, that's a great story. 
uh, because you can definitely, you know, wait too long and get sniped, right? Um, and I just had a very, um, you know, similar kind of decision-making process. And I, I ended up get, getting the guy, which is Sandlin from the case, you know, the Royals prospect. Right. Uh, he, and he has a nickname. I like guys with nicknames. His nickname is I noticed Sandman. that about you, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, he was a guy that was not on my radar at all um, until Baseball America started writing about him at the beginning of the year. Um, and, and so much of my process is just reading you know, it's, it's not that complicated. It's like, right. I read baseball America. Um, but you know, he, he showed up in robo scout and, um, a couple times, um, and he has ridiculous peripherals right now. Uh, he's an, he's an a ball, high a ball. He's 22. So he's a little bit old, uh, for his level, but he's, he's, he's one of these players that was in the CPX last year. So this is his first exposure to the minors. And I'm very interested to see if he gets advanced quickly to double a, um, which will be a good sign, but his strikeout ratio is over 40%. Um, and his, you know, walks minus strikeouts is, you know, ridiculous right now. It's like, you know, over 30, I think, um, in, in five games, five, five games started, right. So incredibly small sample size. So when I first started reading about him in baseball America, he had like three starts and I was like, okay, I'll watch this guy. Right. Like I, I put him on the watch list. I was like, all right. You know, he's like a fifth round draft pick or something like that. And he's got the kind of a prototypical starters build. You know, he's like you know, over 200 pounds, six something, you know. Um, but I never heard of the kid. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll watch him, right? He shows up again in Baseball America. I'm like, well, you know, all right, you know, now now I have to start thinking about, like, are, are the other sharks in the league going to start picking this guy up, right? And I'm like, all right, and now it's four starts. Right? <laughs> like, okay. Um, I wait, and then he had his fifth start, and he lit it up again, right? And like, and then he showed up in Robo Scout again, <laughs> like, and they're talking about his spin rate on his slider, and so I was like, "All right, we're done. Like, <laughs> I'm putting a claim in now because, like, if I wait one more day, like, you know, there's gonna be a shit ton of claims for him. Yep. <laughs> and so I got him and we'll see what happens with him, but now he's on my roster, right? And so I can just kind of play it out. Um, and I think, you know, the lesson that I've learned is that when you really like a player and you kind of starting to develop conviction in him, you should just add him, you know, because you'll end up regretting it more if you don't. The cost of acquisition is so low in most instances when you're getting him off a wire, it's a buck. Right. And obviously fab is valuable in our league and, you, you know, you don't want to spend bucks indiscriminately, but um, I'm much happier, happier having Sandlin on my roster than not right, right now. Yeah. And I can monetize him later in the year. And he's another dude like, you know, when I picked him up, you know, a lot, a lot of owners probably never heard of him before. Mm -hmm. Just as I hadn't. He was on my watch list. I'll say that. There you go. <laughs> but, but that's because you read Baseball America. That yeah, is. That's yeah, exactly why. <laughs> right. Uh, so, like, but but you can also tell other owners are paying attention to certain resources, right? So I know that there are several, you know, ardent readers of Baseball America. And when I start seeing a player mentioned multiple times in Baseball America, they automatically get elevated on my, you know, pickup list. Because right. the, the, there's not going to be too many shopping days left till Christmas for those guys. In contrast, not a lot of guys read Baseball HQ. Mm. Uh, 
which is mm-hmm. much better for redraft and keeper leagues than it is for prospecting in season. But every once in a while, they will have a you know live look at a player, and I'll get an update on some player who they're seeing for the first time or who they've downgraded or upgraded. Right. So, you know, in terms of their scouting grade, right. Um, and I have frequently gone in and looked for a prospect that I've read about in baseball HQ and found out they're on somebody else's team and then I'll inquire. Right. Uh. And so the, the upgrade in the scouting report hasn't hit yet. The industry news. Right. And, you know, that's I'll, I'll acquire guys that way before they kind of pop, uh, you know, broader industry news. Um, and, be, you know, that's I, I feel much more relaxed about those guys than I do about guys who show up in Baseball America. There's just too many people reading those things. Mm-hmm. You know, Sandlin, by the way, is a dude who like started, you know, being tweeted about. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say. So you're you're seeming to have like a you can kind of sense after a certain amount of mentions on baseball America, that's when you'll, you'll pull the trigger. And I'm similar in the sense that baseball America is really the only resource that I have that if I see a guy on that res on there, I know that it, I have to make a move soon. Um, but my, the real thing that causes me to pull the trigger is Twitter. So I follow a bunch of prospect guys. I take zero advice from their sole role is to let me know when the hype is reaching the masses. And so like, I'll get notified when they tweet about a guy and every day I just go through the list of guys they've mentioned. I compare it to my watch list. And if they mention a guy, I know today's the day I have to make a decision on if I want this guy or not. And I'm very, I'm very much, I do this. Like it, it that sounds like a lot of work. Oh, it is a lot of work. And uh, you, you don't even know the half of it. Another thing I do is every single prospect that I flag in one of my processes, I search, see if they're rostered. If they're rostered, I go and I look at the exact day they're picked up. Then I go and I write the day they were picked up down. And then I have tracked over time. Have I been able to shrink the gap of how much I've missed the day they were picked up? And I have significantly, but I'm still working on it. But there's certain guys I know. You're one of them. Um, the A's are one of them. Yep. Uh, Jeff is one of them. There's just certain guys that I know I'm not always going to beat them. I'm going to take my L's to them, and I can't control that. It's there. There's certain I'm not going to name names, but there's certain guys I know if they're beating me to a guy, that's a problem. I need to be able to beat them because I know uh, they're getting their information not necessarily from Baseball America. There. So, yep. um, I I'm I maybe need to be a little bit better about not even waiting to the point where they make it on a Twitter uh, with maybe with a guy like Sandlin, but like when you picked him up, that was just kind of like, ah, Steve just beat me on this guy. And yeah. And look, he's a guy who could flame out and be nothing. I mean, yeah. you know, but, but when you see a dude who's got a 40% strikeout rate, you know, mm-hmm. even though it's just five starts, I'm like, well, I'm going to roster him. Right. Because like, what's the harm? And th- this is another th- thing I found that a benefit uh, by accident. That's kind of how we started this podcast is me talking about a lot of benefits I found in this league just by happy accidents. Um, I moved some of my more elite, maybe you'd say top hundred guys. If you look at my system, you're not going to be overly impressed. Um, there, maybe, you know, a name or two, if you don't know a lot about prospects, if you're Steve, maybe there's like six or seven guys you like, and there's still going to be a lot of guys you're like, I don't even know who the hell that is or why he has them. But um, 
what I have found by moving some of the top guys, I have so much more flexibility in my minors that I am able to really be quick about adding and dropping guys until I just find a mix I like. And those, those are the guys that end up being the most valuable or kind of the guys that come off the radar, like the radar. Like for me, it was Vinny P. Uh, Vinny Pasquantino. He, he's a guy jumped in the league and I picked him up and he's, he's been amazing for me. So and another, a lot of my other top guys are just guys that I kind of stumbled into my lap because they're I just happened to trade for them at the right time. Ryan Nelson, I got him from Harry because Harry was like, this guy's sucking it up. And I was like, I'll take a shot. I know their AAA is pretty brutal. Another guy, Brian, Brian, uh, Brian Bayo, uh, Red Sox right. prospect. Yeah. Um, to- I don't remember. I think it was Tony gave him to me because he'd been struggling. And I was like, ah. I hear really good things about him from my Red Sox guys. And so like, I I'd like to say that I know what I'm doing, but I think I just am getting lucky of the guys that are falling into my lap. You give yourself some more credit, Josh. I mean, I think you're doing a lot of work, right? I I do do put in more work than, but, but it's like, I I go through my roster and there's like four or five guys that I don't necessarily like, but I've been very lucky with the guys that I have on my roster, especially my pitchers this year. It really just are seem to be hitting. Um, and not by anything I'm doing. <laughs> I think. No, I think just... you, know, you, you have a process, right? But I think you know what you're describing. You know, really has a lot of overlap with what some of the other guys I've had on the show have said, which is just it illustrates how much work you got to put in to be good at this. And you have to love mm-hmm. baseball. You really do, right? To be good in dynasty, you really have to love baseball because if you're going to get into it it does require a lot of sweat equity. Um, and, and actually, can I, clar- can I clarify something that yeah, I mean yeah. when I say it's nothing that I'm doing? I recognize that I just said some of the processes that I do that sound crazy and sound like a ton of work. I know I'm putting in a ton of work. The reason it feels like that is whereas with the MLB players, I make my own projections that factor in all sorts of things that no other projection system has. And then it spits out auction values. And I use my real life work to be able to do that. That's where that skill is coming from. I don't do that with the miners. Every, sure. All the work I put in the miners is is just acquiring other people's work and putting it into like basically a, a database of of what other people think. So when I hit on a guy, it's it doesn't feel like I'm hitting on it because it was someone else who pointed them out to me first. And so and that's what I mean when I feel like I'm getting lucky. I don't feel like I'm doing anything. Whereas like with my major guys, I'm like, no, that was I built that projection. I flagged that guy. It's not the same for the miners with me. Yeah, what I would say, I hear what you're saying, the distinct and the you know, the differences that you're highlighting. But what I would say is that there is just so much data out there on minor leaguers, mm. right? That it is a Herculean task to try to model for them. There's just it's too much, right? In my opinion, people there's too it. many guys. There's too many. Yeah, guys. it's just there's just it, there's thousands of dudes. I mean, it's mm. just there's so many. We have 600 rostered in the ABL, and there's still like hundreds and hundreds more who are available. And uh, I think we're all, to one extent or another, relying on other sources. It's just a matter of what level of detail you're willing to go into, right? And so. You know, you rely on base on Baseball America, as I do, right? And so you have a base, and you know you have a pool of players they've highlighted and you're interested in. But then you're doing supplemental, incremental work along the way. You know, you're looking at stats, you're looking at you know performance, and you're supplementing your watch list and kind of tracking it. And you're doing your diligence, your you know, on the game theory about it. 
you know, in terms of when to pick guys up and, you know, when do I have to make a move and how much hype is there on this guy? Is it, you know, is he getting overexposed, underexposed? Identifying by low guys, right? Who are on other people's rosters. You talked about Bello. You talked about other guys you picked up over the years. Well, I'd like to say I identified them, but it was really like I was inquiring about someone else, but there was a gap in evaluation. They were like, how about Ryan Nelson? I was like, oh, okay, sure. And now Ryan Nelson, is, I mean, he's struggling a little this year, but there's still a lot to like under the hood. So, but yeah, that's why that's also what I mean by luck. Like yeah. Ben Brown, another guy, a Cubs guy who's just been exploding this year, likely going to get called up this year. I got him from Tony for this is this this is just a trail of luck right for me tony decides one day i'm gonna acquire a bunch of expensive guys i don't know why i don't think no offense tony i don't think you really knew why um so but he's like i want ronald acuna so i went over to him he's like pick two guys from this list i picked luis medina and ben brown so ben brown boom big hit wasn't expecting that i then take luis medina and turn him into graham ashcraft in a trade that involved him and i wasn't expecting graham ashcraft to be an ace this year to be on par with Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo. He was a distant third. Now he's like in the at least with Lodolo. Yeah. I like I don't know what's happening. It's just sometimes it just happens. Like I, I don't no, know. No, but that's but you know what you you're, you end up trusting your sources too, right? So right. you're relying on Baseball America, and then you're taking a leap of faith effectively by saying, "All right, this is somebody I know about." That's literally why I did. I'm like, I Luis Medina. I know the name Ben Brown. Baseball America likes him. Yeah, sure. I'll take those guys. Yeah, right, right, right. You know, it's not like I asked about him. Tony put him on a list for me. Right, right. So, but you know, I'll, I'll tell you apropos of that a funny story, uh, and then we'll, we'll we'll close up the pod soon because we've been going for a while. Um, last year, I was making a trade with a dude, and we were talking about Nick Castellanos for uh, Sandy Alcantara. That was the that was the trade. Okay. And it's in a different league, um, dynasty league. And the guy who had Nick Castellanos, who I was acquiring, this is before Sandy blew up last year. I was trying, I said, like, look, this is a fair straight offer. Like, you know, like, you know, I'll do it, but you know, that I'm not doing more. And he kept trying to angle me, angle me for adding to the deal because he said Nick's more valuable, Nick's more valuable. And I was like, no, he's not. <laughs> and like, you know, I will do it straight, but I'm not adding anything to this deal. And so Finally, he sends me this email. He says, well, what if what if I trade you Michael Harris for Rocio in the deal? Right on. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So I, like, without hesitation, I'm like, sure. Well, see, that's that's the <laughs> difference between you and me, Steve. You He says that, and you're like, you're like, oh, man, this dude just made a mistake. Boom. Yeah. Like, let's do it. It happens to me, and I'm like, I don't know. Sure. <laughs> like, and then it, it ends up being Michael Harris. No, no. But so Michael Harris, like, you know, Baseball America had just come out with its updated rankings. And the, the Michael Harris ranking was through the roof. And I had read it. You know, so when he said that, I was like, yes. <laughs> but that's an example of me just trusting Baseball America. I read the scouting report. It made sense to me. I was like, yeah, we'll do this. I just, like, crushed this dude in a trade. Um and you know, turned out great. I've I've since flipped cast uh flipped uh Harris in a deal for Jose Ramirez. Um, you know, which in that league is a big thing. But you know, it, I think there's a lot to be said for trusting your resources and taking that leap of faith when you have the opportunity. And that's what you're describing fundamentally, is just you know, with Ashcroft and these other players, it's just being educated. And some of it, it seems like luck, but it's not. It's it's sweat equity. Yeah, That's I know. Cool. Well, the thing is, I, Ash, it's like I knew Ashcraft 
was flagged um, with some trades I made that were heavily criticized. This is now we're not really talking about minors, but I, I think I traded some minor league guys. Um, and I'm sorry, I'm a bit of a rambler, but I made this huge trade with with Sam uh, that was, and this was the same process that led me to Ashcraft. But when I got Ashcraft, I would ask my my process wasn't flagging him as a potential ace to bolster my horrible rotation, which I thought was good, um, but it turns out to be horrible. But I'm just seeing him as a guy that might have some some value, and he's on a on a cheap contract. The same, there's a bunch of other guys that got flagged. I ended up getting four of them. I made a list of eleven players that got four of them. Another one was Kerry Carpenter, who is arguably the only good hitter on the Tigers. Um, I don't actually even know what that trade was, but, um, the two other guys were Shay Langliers and Jonathan, oh, sure. or, sorry, and Jeremy Pena. I got relentlessly crushed for this trade because I sent Kyle Schwarber, two first round picks, Simeon Woods Richardson, who's, who's, uh, people have been talking about him. He's got some hype. Heston Kirschad, who has a ton of hype and CJ Crone. So you hear all those names and you are you're probably also cringing. You're like, that is a ton of value you gave up for Shailene Galeers, Jeremy Pena, and a second round pick. Um, and then I got Scope as a throw-in who I ended up moving for some fab. So Scope ended up being valueless to me essentially. But I my process is has flagged those guys and they're both performing and they're cheap, and I'm gonna have them forever because of how cheap they are. Right. And I think that that's what I'm learning ultimately about pro about what I'm decent at in this league is my process that leads me to those guys, uh, not necessarily the prospects. So I'm trying to learn from guys like you where I, as soon as the guy gets some increased value, send them away, get that value locked in on some sort of player. So you can make more trades like getting Kerry Carpenter, because even after those guys come out, uh, they're still gettable. They yeah. just, you, sometimes you have to pay a lot, but. Yeah, and it's a, the only caveat I would add to that is that be willing to move the guy, you know, but be wary yeah. of moving people who are really high elite players. I don't think any of the guys you just mentioned are elite, but I think well, that's the I, again. Remember, I have no elite players. Well, <laughs> so, they likes may become one. Uh, so, like, you know, I think, be, you, but you know, I'll never move him no, <laughs> after I, what I've paid. I know you won't. Um, but you know, yeah. what's interesting too, and you know, this is another factor in this league that doesn't really exist in a lot of leagues is the contracts. You know, which we, were, we we don't really focus on the, in the plot, but the players you just named are all very expensive players. You know, in terms of your long yeah, I did leave that out. A lot of those guys right. I moved were one year guys, whereas yeah. the guys I have so, now are six year guys. Yeah. So when you t gave the list, I didn't cringe because I'm like, well, I know what their contracts are, right? And so yeah. one of the things that you really excel at, I think, is you get the economics, and you know understanding the, the value of cheap contracts and the ability to keep them long-term. A guy like Langoliers has potentially tremendous value because of his position and his power. And particularly in a points league where we don't really care about batting average, that's a guy that, you know, could pay a lot of dividends for you down the line, you know? Yeah. He's, he's three points per game, plays 80% yeah. of the games. That's super, but he's a top 10 catcher and yeah. he's the cheap. Yeah, and he's, he's dirt cheap, right? And so, you know, those are the kind of guys you want in a league um, like this over time. And if you look at Duke's team. Yep, that this is how I came to this realization. Yeah. And it's funny, Duke traded Pena for yes. Tovar. I think that's all he got in that trade was Ezekiel Tovar. I don't mean to say all he got. But I clearly I was willing to pay even more for Pena than 
than yeah. And look, I think Payne has some warts in his game too, and you know, but oh yeah, he's. I mean, he sucks. I don't actually know why he's good at fantasy. He's three point six points per game, but dude can't hit. I don't really know what's no. There's a big difference in the scoring system. In, in, yeah. in Roto, he's a much less valuable player. And in the points, oh, yeah, no. Six home like runs, that. six on bases. That's where the value is coming from. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, listen, Josh, it's been amazing having you on the show. Uh, I'm really happy you were able to pinch hit and take, take some time away from baseball. And, and super glad you were able to pinch hit uh, for Lenny, who we'll have, have on another time. Uh, but uh, I could talk baseball with you all day, probably. <laughs> but uh, I don't want to. I can do the same. I don't want to get your wife upset and, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm cognizant of not letting the pod run on for too long so people can watch it. Um, yeah, I think we'll that's the big to... takeaway for me. When I don't prepare, I just ramble. That's how it goes really well. It was good. I, I really enjoyed it. And we'll have you on again uh, later in the year, hopefully. That's um, super fun. And, uh, you know, I just remind you and everybody else to ABP, always be prospecting. Um, so thanks again, and we'll see everybody the next time. Take care.